and welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journal's politics podcast. I'm your host, Emma Graney, and this is the Money in the Middle edition. We are back after two weeks' brief hiatus while I was on vacation. I'm sorry, everybody, for letting you all down. Apparently, people on Twitter were annoyed. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Well, didn't they listen to the last podcast where you said there would I be no they, podcast? Yeah, but I know. Maybe they didn't listen through to the very end. Or maybe they were just like, but Emma, why? That's their problem. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, it's nice to know we have at least three people who listen. Uh, and with me today, Dave Breckenridge. What are you doing there, buddy? I'm you brushing up on my notes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you took notes, man. <laughs> Sarah O'Donnell. Good morning. Hello. Who is the founder of our podcast. Yes. Oh, it's true. It's true. You know, this is episode 186. 186 wow. solid yeah. episodes of Alberta politics. That's like, what? Is that almost as old as one of your children then? Ah, not quite, but not too far behind. Yeah, Theo would have been about two or three when we launched. So there you go, there you go. And Graham Thompson. Good morning. Hello, how are Hello. you? Good. I'm going to tell everyone and that Graham's Graham been Thompson here from the beginning as well. Is wearing cowboy boots. I am. I'm off to the Panoka Stampede. And he's going to fit right in with those boots. Do yeah. you have a hat, Graham? I do, but I'm not wearing it today. That's a shame. He pull. He rocks the boots. Yeah, Thank I you. know. He got, he's even got swagger when he walks. I always do. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> so we're going to jump right back into Alberta politics today. Uh, so we had the 2016-17 financials released yesterday. We're also going to take a look at the latest in the Unite the Centre movement and a little bit more on uh, what's happening on the right too with uh, a new group from Fildebrand. And briefly, very briefly, we'll take a look at developments in BC because... Only briefly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we just can't help ourselves though, can we? So I want to start off, first of all, with, I'm going to admit right now, I was away for two weeks, uh, as you all know, and my parents are from Australia. So what I wasn't doing was paying any attention to Alberta politics, but I believe there has been some developments in the centre, Graham. Wasn't there a meeting in Red Deer or something? Yes. Don't shrug is, at me, Graham. <laughs> you know exactly what's happening. This is happened. the Alberta Together group. This is... Um, being led by Catherine O'Neill, and she may sound familiar. That name may sound familiar. That's because she was president of the PC Association, the Progressive Conservatives. And uh, she left uh, this spring, resigned as um, the president, and then popped up head of this um, new group. Is hoping to try and unite the center, as they put it. What They met last uh, weekend in uh, Red Deer. Did about 300 people there. And these were... Liberals, progressive, I'm using air quotes here, conservatives, people who think that uh, this new group on the right is going to be too far to the right, and also uh, the Alberta Party. Uh, Greg Clark turned up to speak. So they're looking for a vehicle, most likely the Alberta Party, to try and unite these people together, those who feel the NDP is too far to the left, and this new group coming up, uh, the United Conservative Party, will be too far to the right. And they're saying there's this big gap in the middle, I'm not too sure about that, but this is them looking for a home. And they know they really can't form a brand new party from scratch. There's not enough time for, until the next election to do this. So they'll likely use the Alberta Party uh, as a vehicle to uh, unify people in the center. Does Greg Clark like that? Well, he thinks, it's interesting, Greg Clark's thinking, this is good, people are coming to my party. Yeah. But I've talked to a number of progressive conservatives who are interested in this. They want to, to bump out Greg Clark. Another coup d'etat. Exactly. <laughs> so they're looking oh, at this as a, a vehicle, but maybe without Greg Clark as leader. 
And I asked Greg, I heard about this back in the spring, and, and Clark said, I'm not going anywhere. But as people in the PC party are thinking, Greg Clark hasn't really grown this party at all. It's kind of languished under his leadership, needs to be more dynamic, and somebody with progressive conservative credentials that could actually be a name. Greg Clark is one of the hardest working MLAs in the, in the House. He is, but he doesn't carry and this is nothing against greg i i like him a lot personally i've the times i've met him he's he's sharp the i see him in the house he is a hard-working guy um but he is not i think someone with wide name recognition in alberta and it's not just progressive conservatives i had lunch with someone a couple weeks ago who raised a similar question about him um and someone with former ties to the PC party, but who doesn't anymore, and I, who I wouldn't describe as a, a conservative in any way, but he says the same thing. Who's going to lead it? It's not Greg Clark, who leads a United Center movement. I just couldn't help feel like we've seen this show before. Mm-hmm. Uh, it reminded me a lot of what happened prior to the election that Alison Redford won with the Progressive Conservatives when there were all kinds of people who had previously identified, well, in different ways, but a lot of them were also form, you know, Progressive Conservatives who kind of drifted over to the Alberta party and got enthusiastically involved in it and talked a lot about the policy side of it. But when push came to shove, it didn't really go mm-hmm. anywhere in that election. And I just, ultimately, those people drifted back to the PCs. Now, I know they may be going through their, they're going through their <laughs> own whole rethink. Uh, but I just, I don't, it was a funny thing to watch because I did have a weird sense of deja vu watching it all. No, I agree. Uh, we've done this road before. They had the big listen. This is before your time here, Emma. The Alberta Party went around <laughs> and tried to get people to talk about what are the policies. I think and that was like a kid's show in Australia. <laughs> the big the listen. The big listen on the ABC. <laughs> so <laughs> sure. they, um, there was no real policy. It's like, what does the Alberta Party stand for? It's really difficult to, to nail that the down. The center, Graham. Uh, and, center, and Gre- center. Greg Clark. The party's still at three percent in the polls. It's you know mm-hmm. with the with the margin of error, it owes us votes. I think it could actually be so low. Um, you've got uh, the liberals, of course, trying to eat into this as well. The liberals, the small L liberals out there who want to actually maybe join this this group, the Alberta Together, um, that's not being sanctioned by the actual Liberal Party because you have, of course, their new leader David Kahn is going around trying to raise support for the liberals. Right. So because they didn't vote in Kerry Cundall, who actually wanted to get and, this whole United And Kerry Cundall actually underway. was there at the meeting last weekend. Of course, so yeah. you actually get this tug of war over the center. This, it's not united at all. And I think that um, Sarah is right. Uh, they talk a lot about this big ground in the middle, but people will gravitate, I think, either to the, to the NDP, seeing that as progressive, or the, the right wing if this UCP comes together. They'll, they'll go that way if, if they're more right wing. I, I don't see this real middle ground actually coming together in the next uh, next election. Are they just going behind the Alberta party because the Saskatchewan party was super duper popular for quite some time? You mean the name? Like yeah, just the name? They're like, the oh, good name. name. We'll get behind that because we like the name. Uh, I think it's... Like I did with the Baltimore Ravens. <laughs> <laughs> Partly that the name may be part of it, but I think that a lot of people in the group are former disenfranchised or disenchanted progressive conservatives who wouldn't want to go to the Alberta Liberals because they don't see the Alberta Liberals as viable in any way, even with the new leader. Um, and so they need to find a home, and they need to find a home quick because, there, as Graham mentioned, there isn't time to start a new party from scratch before the next election. So the Alberta party seems like the best bad option. But you're right. I mean, it's the kind of name where 
it's it's generic in its name. You can put any kind of ideology behind that yeah. and adapt that to what you want. You don't have to change the name to change your policy or change your identity. Yeah, well, we had that the the coup last year, the the threatened coup. And this was people behind Jason Kenney, the Alberta can't wait people. There was uh, speculation that they wanted to go to the Alberta Party convention last August with a busload of people. That's all it would take to get in there and then vote themselves in as the new board, take over the party, hollow it out, make it a vehicle for Jason Kenney, mm-hmm. his new party. Uh, I wrote about this last year, and um, Greg Clark got wind of this. And so they had an emergency meeting of the members um, in June of last year to change the constitution so they could not be taken over in one meeting at a convention to head off this coup. <laughs> and now you've got sort of another kind of coup maybe potentially happening, a more friendly coup if people join the party and then uh, try and edge out Greg Clark. Now, of course, this is all in reaction to what's been happening with the Unite the Right movement, which is catchier than Unite the Centre just because it rhymes. Um, I think you have to have rhyming if you're going to get anywhere in politics. Maybe I'm wrong. Graham, you seem to be doubting what I'm saying here. I, mean, I don't would, understand It rhymes why. with centre. It's bent to the centre. We'll uh, bend to the centre, like bend to the centre. Press bend gallery challenge. Center. Listeners, let mm. us know what rhymes with centre. Oh, that could be terrifying. Okay. <laughs> like in horrible haikus or something. Enter the centre. Enter the centre. Oh. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that one. The left is bereft. <laughs> but, I don't know. But, but I think we may have our next sun headline for the next story on this topic. <laughs> So now, of course, there are developments happening on the right, too. And this happened while I was away. So, dear listeners, this did happen a couple of weeks ago, but we didn't get a chance to talk about it. Derek Fildebrand's, um help me with the name here, Dave. What's it called? Liberty. I, Liberty. That's, I, that's all Uni- I remember. Conservative Liberty. No. It's Liberty together? United Liberty. United Liberty? Are we just making up names? We are. No, yeah. that, that is, that, but that is it. We're making our next political party. Well, <laughs> Uni- United <laughs> Liberty Group. It's, it's yeah. like an oxymoron, United Liberty Right? You're, you're right, free, but yet right, you're yeah. united. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to be free and do my own thing, but I'm going to unite with other people to do so. Exactly. So what? why did he do this, Graham? Do you have a feeling about what, why this is well, a thing? Well, I think it's, this, this is him launching his leadership uh, bid. There's no leadership race until they actually vote on no the 22nd. There's no party, guys. Well, there's no party, right? <laughs> so you're going to have the PCs and the Wild Rose voting on July 22nd, the ratification vote to see if they want to, to agree to move ahead. If they do that, they'll form a new party. There'll be a leadership race. There'll be an election October 28th. Until then, there's no leadership race. They're still in the middle of uniting the, the both parties. So this is um, Derek Filderbrand uh, getting in his leadership uh, race credentials right now to raise his profile. Otherwise, if you wait until the 23rd of July, you're going to be way behind because we're all talking these days about uh, Brian Jean and Jason Kenney. They get all the, all the print, all the attention. Oh, and Doug Schweitzer, let's not forget. Well, Doug's got his own. Uh, <laughs> this is another candidate, of course, for the, the, um, this new party that hasn't been formed yet. And he's out there saying he's going to run as well. He's trying to raise his profile by giving us almost daily um, policy yeah. statements, right? Yeah. Um, and really long press releases, like very yeah. long. You can't even see one in one page. You've got to scroll down. Well, you've got to read the whole thing, or yeah, do you? Well, well, this is him trying to raise his, raise his profile by saying, I know issues. Uh, people were asking me if this was Derek was uh, getting involved in the race to split the Wild Rose vote uh, with Brian Jean. No, that's not going to happen because this is going to be a preferential ballot. 
the ballot on the 28th of October is going to be ranked. So it's not going to be an issue of people throwing support to each other. It's going to be right, cause you, you vote. You can't have like, you know, voting for Gene or voting for Kenny and then, you know, Fildebrand kind of comes up the middle. Right. Yeah. So it's going to be a case of, you know, you vote, you rank them. Mm. Preferential ballot, and this is what I does th- that so compare that to? What what's another leadership race recently where they've done that that way? Well, we used to have it. Oh boy, it's going to get really complicated. Okay, all of a sudden. Okay, um, well, we don't have to go get complicated in terms of how the PCs used to do it. Right. To, so they would have a preferential ballot. So you would. Oh boy, do we we went down this road because we don't have to. It can get really complicated as to how you rank people, as opposed to having just a vote. If you just did it the old-fashioned way, you'd have a vote, you'd count all the votes, and see where they rank. Yep. And you, the, the top person drops off, and you vote again. Yep. And you vote again. Preferential ballot means you do the ballot once, and you put down your ranking, and then they figure it out, the, the tabulation, by dropping off your last so choice. So the, 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 kind of the Ed Stelmack method. It, well, yes. It could. It, he could come up the middle, though, even in a preferential system, Well, there's right? been talk that... Fildebrandt is setting himself up for a leadership race to split the vote, so help split the Wildrose vote to help Kenny win. That's yes, the other exactly. conspiracy right. theory. Yes. Yeah. It is smart on his part. It's better for him to be going into the uh, for, for Fildebrandt to be going into the barbecue circuit, the the stampede, the rodeos, all these sorts of things as not just a Wildrose MLA, but you know something else, another reason for to be talking to people and that sort of thing. I don't. I think he would. He'll, make a bit more of a splash, I guess. Mm-hmm. So it is definitely a strategic move. Well, also it helps him if, in fact, they do form this new party, goes on to form the next government, it helps his profile in terms of being in cabinet. Uh, leadership races, very often people run not to win, but to raise a profile to help their career. So, yeah, I think... Presuming they then got elected, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yes. But, yeah, if they form and if they win the next election, then he'll be positioned to be... Um, and of course, could he actually win the leadership? <laughs> you know, we're, not, we're writing him off. I doubt it at this point. Kenny's probably the front runner, and Gene is there too. Um, time and will tell. Then you've got then you've got that um, that weird bit of paper that was handed to Danielle Smith, right? That she tweeted out this week about how great Leela Rahir is. I don't know if you guys saw that. <laughs> the one that was masquerading as an NDP poll. Yeah, and it was basically about why Leela here would be a great choice for leader because she dresses well every single day. She's been married to one person. One before. person. Yeah, that was classic. The NDP is saying there's no, um, it's not theirs. Hmm. There were too many typos or something like that. <laughs> so let's, unless there's anything else you want to throw oh, in no, here, I want to actually go through discussing how a preferential ballot works. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking back now. I'm actually, spark- worked with Stelmac and the second ballot, but there won't be two ballots like the PCs used to have. You'd have one on one Saturday, and no, but no clear winner. There'd be another ballot the following Saturday or two weeks later. So this will be kind of similar to what the federal conservatives yeah. did, but without the point system. Yeah, it sounds like to it. weight it, all the, the ridings is, equally. We don't know the actual the actual rules yet. They're going to yeah. figure out the actual rules if they all if agree. They actually, have a party. If, if, yes. if they have a party and there's be rules to be set up, but right now they're telling me it's going to be a preferential ballot. I haven't seen the details on that. They haven't really mm. figured this out. Well, yeah, again, they still have to vote for the party, which is July 22nd. And Brian Jean said yesterday, um, when he was briefly asked about yeah. it after financials, that he's optimistic. That yeah, it's interesting. That he vote. wasn't optimistic a few weeks ago. He was talking to James Wood from the uh, Calgary Herald. And uh, at that point, he said he wasn't optimistic. And now mm. he is optimistic. You know, things can change on a dime. Well, the, th- the thing is, the the threshold here is 75% mm. of members who are voting for the Wild Rose have to approve this. 
where it's only 50% plus one for the progressive conservatives. So the PCs have a much lower threshold. So the question is, can the Wild Rose get 75%? I'm really wondering about that. I just, I don't know. I don't know if there are enough, I feel like there are so many hardcore Wild Rosers who won't want to be part of that merge, but maybe I'm wrong. But in fairness, at their policy convention, they did, um, before the actual policies, they had larger guiding ones very early in the morning, and they did vote to pass they did vote they did pass one of those mm-hmm. it got something like 80 percent support so i mean that that wasn't every wild rose member obviously voting but it does perhaps show that there is enough support there to do it i guess we'll see you get over that second. threshold yes. yeah so this was brian jean talking at the financials thing yesterday which segues into what else we're going to talk about which is the deficit derpa, 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 derpa. big numbers <laughs> that's my deficit impression yeah. So what was you the, didn't like you it? were you were in the news conference. So what was yeah. the breakdown of the numbers? Oh God, now you're asking me really hard questions, aren't you, Sarah? It was a ten point eight billion dollar deficit, That's and we right. are thirty three point three billion, billion dollars in debt. debt. And unless and that's only if you just count what we've borrowed for spending, uh, fiscal and capital. And I feel like I'm getting a test right now in school. And um, that goes up though if you include the money that the province has borrowed on the behalf of municipalities, okay. so that they can get a better interest rate. Then it's something. I don't like think we typically count that. No, no. cities well, have to pay back their own mess. True, it does cause a bit of a it causes a bit of a kerfuffle um, for some. For some journalists who are like, well, what's the real number, though? How mm-hmm. do other provinces do it, et cetera? That does actually cause a bit of a... And this is actually... Used to in Saskatchewan mm, as well. This is actually like last year's numbers, just to, to yeah. clarify. This is what happens every year that you know, the government brings a budget out, and the budget year ends in March 31st, and then they spend a few months figuring out the actual final numbers for that fiscal year. So mm. this is the budget, the the sixteen seventeen budget. Yeah. And this is the first released full in March 2016, right? Uh, um, April. April, yes. right? I just started. Um, this is the first complete NDP budget. Mm-hmm. One before that was a, a combination of the PCs came in, lost the election. NDP brought in their budget in the fall of 2015. So it's a combination of PC and NDP. This is the very first full NDP budget, and the numbers are well. We know that. The numbers were shocking, a $10.8 billion uh, deficit, you pointed out. So a $33 billion debt as of right now, but it's another $10 billion deficit this year, another 9.7 next year. It goes on. It's going to be you know, 45 50 60 $70 billion in debt by the next election. Mm-hmm. And the question I was pushing um, Joe Sisi on yesterday is, where is the plan to balance the books? And he says, well, it's a plan. Where is it? We well, all tried so hard to get an answer about what that is plan, no plan actually is. Uh, he's talking about baby six steps. Baby steps is the plan. Right? He is saying it's six <laughs> years out, and the budget increments are always three years. So you got to wait three years to to see the actual you know three year <laughs> plan going beyond that. So the thing is, the government's response to all of this is: look, we didn't want to cut, we didn't want to cut spending and lay people off and and shut down government services and close hospitals and close schools. We've got to keep spending, borrowing money to spend to keep the economy going and to keep people employed and keep giving people government services, right. making life better for all Albertans. Oh, my God. Have you been reading the press releases? So this is <laughs> their, their response to people who are saying, you're spending way too much money. So they're making it sound like it's an either, either or. Either we keep on spending into debt or we slash and burn. And I think people are looking for a middle ground on this. And I think they have to bring out some sort of plan to show Albertans they're serious about actually getting spending under control 
and actually reducing the size of the deficit because this can't continue forever. You're right, and there is no plan. And we, I mean, we've pushed and pushed the finance minister on it, but his plan, I'm using air quotes, which you can't see, but I can. Um, They're very it, good. Thank you so much. Uh, is basically we're going to reduce the deficit incrementally year by year. We're going to keep on investing in the province. We're going to keep our burdens working and eventually oil revenues will pick up. And he didn't seem to like it when I asked him if he's relying too much on oil revenues here. But that's exactly what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like just, in the, just in the like, grand tradition of Alberta finance ministers for yeah. a long time. Exactly. And, and the thing is, in the price of oil has dropped to the point where it is a huge, it's a catastrophic drop, which is true. You go back Absolutely. to 2014 when the PCs were in power. They were getting about $9 billion a year in oil and gas revenue. Now it's down below $3 billion. So it's dropped tremendously. Mm. So that, that's a huge problem, of course. And anybody right now in government would be running a deficit. And according to the Wild Rose, they'd be running roughly 3 to $5 billion as opposed to $10.8 billion, as Brian Jean was saying. Well, yeah, but we don't know. But the <laughs> thing is, there would still be a deficit, a, a sizable deficit in Alberta politics because of the price of oil. Yeah. No, absolutely. You just have to wonder if they realize that they're in a position where they can't look at other measures for revenue. This is the NDP, and you'd assume that the NDP would talk about wanting to bring in other revenue sources, whether it's a sales tax, whether it's an income tax increase. And I'm not saying that they should. <gasps> you said sales tax. I know I did. Um, but I think they're in a position where they couldn't possibly fathom that publicly because they're less than half a term away from an election and nobody would want that in Alberta. And they already have been taking a hit over any number of things, including the carbon tax. It's probably something you have to bring in right at the beginning of your term so that people have four years to forget if you get a majority. They are really in a bind. And I am somebody who over the years has written editorials saying that in bad times, previously when previous governments would like just be looking at slashing and cutting and doing all that kinds of things, we were, we, I've written about the not being so afraid of debt that, you know, you do foolish things. And yet here I find myself having grown up in Alberta now at this point, thinking what what you and Graham have just been talking about. Okay, you know, we've had some bad times, but it's like the next six years with more of this and the debt just getting bigger and bigger, I'm starting to get really uncomfortable with that. As somebody who was comfortable with some debt, it does, it, I'm beginning to feel like, okay, well, yeah, what is that tipping point? So I, I don't envy them. They're going to have some very tough choices in the next couple of years. And I don't know how you go into an election with with debt and, and like this and no plan for getting rid of the deficit and, and getting rid of the debt. Well, especially, I mean, debt servicing costs were built just over a billion dollars last year. I mean, that's a huge number. And Albertans, like most people, don't really like being saddled with huge amounts of debt. Right? And the thing is, you mentioned a sales tax. Um... Oh, my parents, actually, on the sales tax, someone, um, I was talking about, you know, the economy in the shitter, basically, and dad kind of said, well, wait, but there's no, isn't there like no provincial sales tax here? And I went, yeah. And he goes, well, why don't they just do that? And I'm like, oh, dad, <laughs> <laughs> bless your soul. <laughs> Well, the thing is, every other province has it. If we brought yeah. in a 5%, it'd probably raise $5 billion, let's say. It would half the deficit. In fact, the deficit's high this year in part because of the uh, the coal phase-out yeah, yep, and also yep. the, uh, the power, pool. the balancing pool. So it's added like $3 billion. If they brought in a sales tax, it'd be worth $5 billion. Let's say every other province has it. It would help you know, um, balance their books. But, of course, politically, 
in Alberta, what's it called, the PST, uh, political suicide tax. <laughs> um, nobody wants to talk about it, even though um, it would be something other provinces have done and do, and maybe we should think about is it. it. Yeah, is, is it tough to do, though, when you've already introduced a carbon, carbon tax, tax, when you've got minimum wage going up, uh, a range of other a range of other well, things, If, if right? other provinces other have costs. done the same, like BC has. Mm, true. Um, but now, of course, the problem is our major economy is going through a recession right now, the price of oil, and that's what's making it even more difficult. When do we get the next set of figures? Uh, next set that will be the, the, the first quarter will be in August. That's the first quarter of the fiscal year. Oh. Uh, we'll get an update in, as to how it's going. Next budget next year will be interesting because that's going to be in the red zone one year till the next election. Already. Wow. Doesn't time, time fly when you're having fun, Graham? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to move briefly to what happened in BC. Uh, big developments overnight. And of course, this is applicable to us because, well, we're the next door neighbors. And the new winner, the new winner of BC, <laughs> what the- well, how am I even phrasing that? The new leader of BC. Premier. Premier. Thank you, Graham. I um I work professionally with words. Uh, yes, is John Horgan. He, he'll be he's sworn in, in as a Premier. When, when's that happening? Today? I don't know when he's going to be. Need to keep tabs. Just still getting caught up on exactly. There was so much that happened last night in BC. It's hard to uh, yeah. hard to keep track of it all. But certainly he has been asked for it by the Lieutenant Governor. But it's going to be interesting to see what happens now. If you're going to have... You know, 43 liberals, 44 of the, now this oh. this coalition or amalgamation of the Greens and the NDP, 44 of them. But then one becomes speaker. You have 43 government and 43 opposition. How do you get anything done? You the can't. speaker has to keep voting with the government, and that goes against all the protocols. You can't get anything done. And, of course, this is relevant to Alberta because, as we've said on this podcast before, John Hogan, Horgan is not a fan of pipelines at all, and I think that's putting it lightly. Didn't he take like a mason jar full of crude oil around as a prop about how much he hates pipelines? Was that him? Mm-hmm. I think it was. He'll bring it to the uh, premier's, the, the first minister's conference. Oh. In, uh, Interesting. So Christy Clark misses out on coming to Edmonton. In July. Yeah, oh. yeah that's uh, premier's Clark. conference. It's interesting, of Lucky course, because John. you've got uh, Notley. Premier Notley is a good friend of... Um, John Horgan. In fact, her chief of staff is his former chief of staff, uh, John Heaney. <laughs> uh, so the question is, what's going to happen with the pipeline? I, I got the impression before that if the NDP had just won outright in BC, that the government here could work with the government there and still get the pipeline put through. But with the Greens there, the tail wagging the dog, anti-pipeline dog, you're going to have um, a real pushback, even though BC technically doesn't have the legal authority to stop a pipeline. It's the federal government can authorize it. But, you know, provinces can cause all kinds of problems to delay things, to get a pipeline done. So if this pipeline is delayed enough into the next election, that's going to be a major problem for Notley because she has to try and sell her carbon tax. She's still trying to sell the carbon tax as part of the climate leadership plan as a way to say, look, we got social license to get more pipelines built. And if this pipeline doesn't get built, that undermines a major plank in her platform. And there is a huge anti-pipeline sentiment in BC. I've lived in BC, and it's it's massive. Like it's really hard to wrap your head around unless you've actually lived there. Just how much they really hate the idea of pipelines in BC. Massively. So we'll just keep sending trains out that way, full of crude. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. Uh, that's yeah, that's yeah. dangerous. More dangerous than a pipeline, yeah. but fun. Sure, let's let's keep doing that. Uh, so, are you pro pro pipeline, Dave? Is that what I'm picking up there, mate? Um, <laughs> yes, I, he's, he's pro train. <laughs> I, you know, trade is a good thing. Train, uh, train. I'm pro train. Pro, I thought you said yeah. pro trade. Pro train. I'm both. I'm pro train, <laughs> except with oil. 
I think we all know that the pipelines are a far safer way to transport something like you know bitumen synthetic crude than um, than than rail. That's just that's fact. There are certain routes that are better for pipelines than others. So I think you can be supportive of some pipelines and not others. So to say universally, all pipelines good, mm, that's not where I would stand. But certainly some pipelines, more pipelines, we need sensible routes out of this province. Trains can't keep grain in them to keep <laughs> grizzly bears off the tracks in the mountains. And grizzly bears keep getting hit by trains. <laughs> and we want, and without more pipeline access, we're going to put more oil in trains and send it. It just doesn't make any sense to me. I'm going to be really interested to hear how quickly has Rachel Notley reached out to John Horgan. I, I guess we're going to, that probably won't be broadcast. I don't know if she'll be broadcasting that or not, or how quickly she'll be talking about that. But I want to know, like, have those conversations already been going on? How quickly does that reach out happen? Uh, yeah, where does it where does it go from here? And And with the, like Graham said, with the greens in the equation... It certainly throws a bit of a kink into everything. It does. And now let's move to our regu- regular segment, Good Stuff from the Gallery. Dave, what do you have for us, mate? I'm going to be a bit of a homer this week. I think that uh, we have a, a couple, <laughs> a bit of a homer. We, I'm going to do, do some shameless self-promotion. We have okay. a, a couple good features uh, this week. Janet French has done, I think I'm stealing uh, Sarah's answers. Uh, Janet French has done a, an interesting look at uh, the issue of uh, discipline in schools, uh, suspensions and expulsions in uh, the Edmonton Public and Catholic Boards. And she's also, today's piece is about, you know, if we weren't to do suspensions as a form of discipline, what would we do? Um, and my other plug is, I'm going to save Sarah one unless she, in case she's going to talk about this one but my other my other piece this week is I'm a bit of a music nostalgist and, and Rolling Stone did a really good look back at uh, Radiohead's big uh, OK Computer album which turned 20 not no, long ago it did it not it is 20 years old how am I that old buy the reissue the remastered version of the album is really good it sounds really good and it's got a bunch of previously unreleased tracks on really? it really but the Rolling Stone piece looking back at that the recording of that album and what the band was going through is a really good read oh my god I listened to that when I was on exchange in Germany when I was in high school that's terrifying that I'm that old I'm going to recommend something from the walrus actually should Queen Elizabeth II be Canada's last monarch it's 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 an interesting read because I'm from Australia where we've already voted on becoming a republic that was the first thing I could vote in as an 18 year old and we rejected the idea then. Um, but it's a really interesting read about the, the monarchists versus the Republican movements in Canada and how basically they're both just trying really hard to give people to to get people to care at all about the fact Canada has a monarchy. It's a really great read. I liked it a lot. Uh, it's in the Walrus. Graham, what do you have for us? Um, I'm going to say that uh, we talked a lot about the uh, financial situation of the province. If you go online to Alberta Finance, you can see the, all the documents that we're talking about there. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you go through all the budgets if you really want to, but the most recent one will be there, and this is the annual uh, report. And you can see the graphs and charts are in there in terms of where we're ahead and what's actually happening right now. Um, yeah, so I think that uh, it's an interesting read, even the, just the summary of what's actually happening and what's actually happened last year. So I would suggest uh, Alberta Finance, always a good read. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that they would love to hear you say that because they work very hard at preparing such readable documents. They mm. do. Sarah? So, a couple things. I do have something to cheering for the home team as well because I thought that Paula Simons and Claire Clancy did a very good job looking back on a policy change that hadn't occurred to me uh, this year, nine, uh, 
2017 marks the 50th anniversary of a change in Canadian immigration policy that switched uh, to a neutral points system, basically giving people points for different things like profession, and it opened the door to a wave of uh, immigrants from countries such as India, various African countries, the Caribbean, and in doing so, started the shift towards the multicultural Canada we see. And they went back and talked to some of the, the families, the, the, the men and women who came over as part of this wave in, uh, beginning in 1967. And it was it's very interesting to tell their stories, and it was a, it's a, a policy anniversary, I guess, that hadn't occurred to me, but somebody had mentioned it to Paula Simons about, you know, you should talk to my aunt who was part of this first wave of uh, nurses from India, and it kind of, that was a few months ago, and, and we end up with this lovely set of features. I also want to recommend something to listen to, another podcast, but it's not about politics, but it is... Uh, I know that some of our listeners are obviously interested in podcasts. So I recommend uh, something I've been listening to called uh, In the Dark. It's by American Public Media. It's uh, t- tied to true crime. It's about the abduction of a little boy, Jacob Wetterling, whose body was finally found 27 years after it disappeared. And just very good storytelling, but, you know, a bit dark given the subject. So mm. apt with the title. Thank you so much for joining me, Dave. Sarah, Graham, there is no video this week. You don't get to see our beautiful faces. What a shame. You just have to imagine the <laughs> Online at edmontonjournal.com where you can find all the previous episodes of the Press Gallery. You can also subscribe to SoundCloud, iTunes, or TuneIn Radio. And we will be here again next week. Hooray, I'm not taking any more vacation ever. <laughs> so hopefully you'll join us at the Press Gallery. <laughs>